What's up, NFL fans? Welcome to another episode of Four Down Territory. I'm your host, Luke Easterling, alongside Doug Farrar from Touchdown Wire. As always, Doug, we are just past the first wave of NFL free agency. Obviously, a, a wild, wild period of time. It usually is. But particularly this year with some of the big trades we've seen happen, blockbuster moves, top quarterbacks, maybe the top receiver in the game, changing teams. Obviously a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, again, we're going to start with something that's more off the field than on the field. One of those big trades happened uh, with the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson. They gave up a huge haul for the quarterback from the Houston Texans, three first round picks and more. Of course, you know, the Browns have released their statements shortly after the trade, insisting they had done all the due diligence. You know, they backloaded Watson's contract to be able to prevent him from losing too much money if he's suspended it this season. Which I want to I want to break in right there because I've heard people say, well, this is how these veteran deals are usually structured. This is not a usual veteran deal. Stop it. Please continue. Right. It's not. We can't. <laughs> there are differences here. We all should be able this to. This is like apples that. and dump trucks. Please. Yeah, so we, I mean, we all expect some sort of suspension, right? We're not sure about the length, um, but obviously we expect that to happen at some point. There's a lot to cover here. We've talked about this multiple times up to this point, but now that a deal has actually been made and Watson is moving to a new team, I mean, what does, you know, we'll talk about what he brings in a football sense at some point, but where are you with this whole situation right now? Yeah, that's way down the road. To mangle a lyric from the great Elvis Costello, I used to be disgusted, now I can't stay amused. You expect what you expect, and in this case, it's exactly what you think it is. You know, they, the NFL is who we thought it was. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis Green. Um, I was not surprised at all by the fact that several NFL teams went all in and created a sweepstakes for a player who has been credibly accused of sexual assault by 22 different women, with possibly more to come, by the way. I was not surprised at all by the Brown statements from everyone because the NFL always says it's doing its due diligence, and it never actually does. Never, never, never go through the history. It never happens. Due diligence is always bull, you know what. And I will not be surprised if the NFL's water carriers, <laughs> the same water carriers who have done their level best to pump up the Watson deal and move it to how many touchdown passes he's going to throw or how this affects the AFC North, you know, there are people, I'm going to go on a rant here. There are people who are desperate to keep that NFL-related job, and there are people who are desperate to get those NFL-related jobs, and you can really tell exactly who they are in situations like this. This is the NFL forwarding the myth that anything, no matter how repugnant, is just business as usual, and the worst part of it is the NFL never learns anything from this, and the second worst part of it is the NFL is getting a lot of help, and what I don't hear is, as, as much as it should be, what about these women? How do they feel? As I wrote last week, how does it? How do they feel that the the subject of their traumas and nightmares has secured a bag, guaranteed wise, unlike any in NFL history? I mean, the whole thing to me is just it's repugnant. That's what I wrote, and the word sticks. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know what else there is to say about this at this point. We've talked about it. Uh, We're only talking about it because we have to talk about it. Exactly. You know, I mean, like you said, this is just the latest example uh, that the NFL will ignore really anything if it serves their interests. And and you brought up the due diligence and you brought up about, you know, what about how this impacts those women? It feels like when when the Browns put out statements like, you know, we sat down with Deshaun and he had very he was very candid about the situation, very very honest and very genuine. You know, if you're talking due diligence, where is your effort to to speak to these women, to speak to them and, and get their understanding of this situation as opposed to just the guy you want to be your quarterback? 
You know, if you're going to talk about due diligence and, and doing extensive research, as they said they did, and then we hear the, the attorney who represents these women come out and say, there's not a single team in the league who even reached out to me to say, hey, we're, we're doing our due diligence here. We want to find out both sides of this story. We want to see what's going on. And when there's no effort even to do that, I don't know how you can put the label extensive research or due diligence on that. It feels like, and again, I've said this on social media multiple times in regards to this situation. It feels like when a team says that due diligence, we did this, we did extensive research and we're comfortable with it. What that means is we got ownership to agree to sign off on it. We have a plan with our PR team to deal with the backlash that's going to come from the public and we'll withstand all of that because we think it will win us games and we think it will give us a chance to win a championship instead of it being a genuine effort to get to the bottom of a situation. Well, get ready for, you know, D Haslemore, you know, and, and Kevin Stefanski were at the women's forum and, you know, paint jersey and supporting the victim. I would so much more respect a team in a city, and it, it will never happen. But I would so much more respect a team in a situation like this if you just said, you know what? We just got a quarterback who's better than our old quarterback. We're trying to win a Super Bowl. Um, we're going to see how it plays out, and whatever happens, happens. I would so much more respect a team if they just said that instead of all this other frosting. But right. Anyway. Don't insult our intelligence and just tell us you don't care. It's fine. We know you don't, so just just tell us that. Don't insult my intelligence because it's a really low bar, and I don't like it. Come on. <laughs> Jeez. Moving on, Doug. Before we get yes. to free agency, obviously we mentioned it earlier, there's been major trades, really more than we've ever seen, I think, in an offseason in recent memory. Certainly at this size. Right, exactly. So which of these big moves will have the biggest negative effect on the team who is trading away its superstar versus the positive effect on the team that's trading for that superstar? I mean, you could almost argue the Texans, but I'm sure the Texans would rather have Davis Mills and his upside as opposed to Deshaun Watson and, you know, the waves hands everywhere thing. Uh, I have to say Russell Wilson to Seattle. Uh, the Broncos were very clearly one really good quarterback away from competing and contending in 2021, and they went out and got themselves a quarterback who's a lot better than really good. Um, and you're going to find, by the way, you're going to find that out this year when Russell is unshackled from whatever it was that Pete Carroll was wanting to do on offense for the year, which is pretty much the same wrong thing. Uh, meanwhile, the Seahawks are trying to convince themselves and us that Drew Locke, who they, Drew Locke, who they got in the trade along with a couple other decent guys in Noah Fant and Shelby Harris, can be Russell Wilson's successor. I defy anyone, Luke, who has watched Drew Locke's 2021 tape to say that with a straight face. I don't like bashing players like this, but uh, in, a, in the press conference last week, Seattle General Manager John Schneider, who I know and respect, said, I think the media is doing a bit of a number on Drew. Um, I wrote about Drew Locke right when that trade happened. I watched tape for three hours. I'm not doing a number. I'm revealing, you know, I'm... I'm <laughs> the numbers are there. You're telling the numbers. <laughs> three words, man. Tape, don't lie. Moreover, the first two round and... Two first round and two second round picks Seattle got in the steal. You look at their drafts over the last five, six years and tell me that the Seahawks can just throw away a future Hall of Fame quarterback from next to nothing. Unless they reverse course drastically in their draft wisdom... This is one of those busts that can keep you out of contention for a good 10 years. You add the Jamal Adams thing to that, and that whole, you know, it's it's just... And I watched, because I'm a Seattle guy, I watched how much Russell Wilson was a deodorant, especially as the defense just started to fail. But they don't even know how bad it's going to be. They just don't. 
Yeah, I mean, I would love to pick a different one of these trades, Doug, but I just I think the gap between these this deal and everything else is too big in terms of the impact it will have really on both teams. Like you said, on Denver's side of things, that's an easy that's an easy get to give up those picks and even those players. I know Noah Fant's probably not thrilled uh, to be the person to, the, to be the playmaker, the pass catcher that's going away from Russell Wilson. I gotta catch more passes from Drew Locke. I mean, if you're doing that deal, you get a Pat Sertan. Come on. Right, right, because. Russell Wilson is walking into a room where he's got Jerry Judy, he's got Cortland Sutton, he's got Javante Williams, you know, a couple of upgrades on that offensive line. And I mean, man, he's he's going to have a lot of fun. And again, schematically, if they're going to unleash him like Seattle has refused to do, I think he's going to big things are going to happen in Denver, obviously. And then you flip the, the script on Seattle. I just think there's such an underestimation of, of the multitude of sins that Russell Wilson's presence has covered in Seattle. Yes. over a decade you know you talk about the defense being bad but I look at their offense and, and that that disjointed offensive identity where they have no idea what they can be versus what they want to be you want to pound the rock you want to run the ball all the time you didn't build an offensive line you didn't invest in an offensive line to be able to set that tone and be able to establish the line of scrimmage and enforce your will on a defensive line so you try to commit to the run while having a superstar quarterback who should be the focal point of your attack. You know, philosophies be damned. Like, you have to be able to understand you have a unicorn, rally around that, build around that guy, and let him lead your offense. And there have been glimpses of when they have done that, things have gone very, very well. Unfortunately, more often than not, what happened in Seattle is we're going to keep banging our head against the wall, especially, like you said, as the defense got worse. We're going to keep banging our head against the wall trying to be a, a pound-the-rock team. And then when we're down 17 in the late third quarter, we're going to go to Russ and be like, please save us again. And he did so he many did. times. So, so often times. to the point where they just expected, hey, we're just going to be able to do this. We'll try to pound the rock and fail for three quarters. And then Russ and, will save us in the end and we'll be and fine. And people, yeah, people are up here saying, well, he didn't do it all the time. Like, that's even possible. And by the way, if you want to do that. that never did it at all, Doug. The irony is the guy who is going to be his primary running back now, Javante Williams, Russ is going to start looking back about week two and going, I have a new Marshawn Lynch. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, it's for both sides, this deal is huge. But, I mean, it makes me sad for Seattle because I really just don't even think they have any idea how bad it's about to get because they've never truly been – they've never truly understood how good they had it compared to how bad they could have had it. And, man, that's about to become very, very obvious. Well, I'll just i wrap with this on that subject. During that presser last week, there was a lot of we know what we're doing. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. You shouldn't shouldn't have to say that. You shouldn't have to say that. Right, right, absolutely. Finally, we're going to move on to free agency. A couple of quick hitters here. Doug, give us one team that has absolutely nailed their moves in free agency so far. I want everyone to sit down because this is not – it's going to get weird, but it's okay. The New York Jets. Yes. Uh, they've made a lot of sneaky good moves that may not pin the needle you know, into the red in the court of public opinion, but they're all signings that improve the team in vital areas at bargain prices. Former Bengals tight end C.J. Uzoma, ex-49ers guard Lakin Tomlinson, former Seahawks cornerback D.J. Reed. That's a great signing. Uh, former, sorry, former Bucks safety Jordan Whitehead. And former Texans edge rusher Jacob Martin, who could be the steal of this particular class. The Jets got five absolute to possible top-tier starters for mid-tier starter to back up money and kids. That's how you do it. 
It is how you do it. And I think one of the other ways to win free agency is to really attack your biggest need with veteran players who can start immediately and upgrade those positions before you go into the draft, right? Because you don't want to go into the draft having to reach at any point, especially early, to fill that big, big need that you just couldn't get anybody to fill in terms of, you know, veteran free agents that can make an immediate impact. Because then you're, you're reaching for a player who's not as good as, as a guy you could get at any other position there. And also you're doing it and expecting a younger guy to fill in a, a spot that you need an immediate starter. That usually doesn't go well, which is why I love what the Cincinnati Bengals have done this offseason. You know, the, they got so close to winning a Super Bowl, winning a championship, despite having one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Maybe not as bad at times as some people thought they were, but obviously the biggest reason I think they did not go all the way, aside from some really questionable play calling uh, from Zach Taylor, which we've gotten into on this show before. But look at what they did at the offensive line. They go out immediately. They get Alex Kappa, the right guard, who obviously I know well from being down here in Tampa, Ted Karras from New England, and then they get Lael Collins from Dallas after he was released, and they, they get him in the building first. They lock that deal down. That's three starting caliber offensive linemen on a, on a unit that needed at least three starting caliber offensive line upgrades to help protect Joe Burrow. A couple of underrated guys as well. Hayden Hurst, the tight end, to replace yeah. C.J. Uzama, who you mentioned earlier, and B.J. Hill as a replacement for Larry Ogunjobi, who was going to go to Chicago, failed the physical there. So obviously having B.J. Hill replace him should be an upgrade there as well. I love what Cincinnati's done this offseason. Yeah, and the thing, I mean, the last two Super Bowl losers, the Chiefs and the Bengals, uh, I don't think there's any argument that both of them lost because of their offensive lines. And you saw what the Chiefs did. They spent the gross national product of France on their offensive line. And then the Bengals were doing the same thing. And the thing is, uh, Karras, Kappa, and Collins, they're all, uh, alliteration, there you go. They're all in these, you know, pass-heavy, relatively pass-heavy, you know, frequent three-by-one sets. They're all good scheme fits. And they can all run like power run block which when you have Joe Mixon is a good thing so it's not like you're bringing in a guy and asking to play left-handed schematically they're not just throwing money at a problem they're actually targeting and saying oh Collins gets out we'll take him in um it, yeah just really smart stuff now speaking of just throwing money at problems uh on the other side of that coin to close us out Doug who is the team that their free agent blueprint has found uh you found to be the most puzzling at this point well, this is the, the, the Trent Baalke, the Jaguars general manager. This is, I'm very familiar with him. Byron his time knew. Byron Leftwich knew exactly what was going to happen. Yes, Byron Byron knew what he was doing in seven different ways. Um, I'm very familiar with Trent from his time in San Francisco. Um, this is the traditional Trent Baalke free agency class we're drafting that half of it is, oh, my God, this is great, and the other half is just, oh, my God. Um, they've done very well with everything with pass catchers, but in that regard, they've done some really weird stuff. Your basic Trent Baalke thing. Um, the Darius Williams deal was one of the free agent steals because you get him for three years, thirty million. He is a he's your number one corner right away, and you usually pay at least twice. Foya Sadi Olakun, you're familiar with him because he's with the Falcons. That guy is the most underrated linebacker in the NFL. Elbrook, no argument whatsoever. Three down guy who can do everything, and that's what you want these days. $72 million and $37 million guaranteed over four years for Christian Kirk, who's never had a 1,000-yard season. And three years, $24 million, with $14 million guaranteed for Zay Jones, formerly of the Raiders and many other teams, whose six-year career, statistically, is basically one good Devontae Adams season. Make it make sense. It's very binary with Trent Baalke. It's either going to be great, or you're going to be looking around for five days going, what did I miss? I mean, particularly the the last note on the Jaguars is that 
to, to spend that kind of money on those receivers in any year is ridiculous. To do it in a year that has one of the deepest, most talented wide receiver classes in recent memory when you've got uh, number 33 overall, the first pick in the, in the second round where you'll have a lot of guys to pick from. you got multiple third-round picks. So many other options that I think would have given them probably just as much, if not more, production, obviously, on a rookie deal. Again, you want to fill those needs, but throwing that much money at them never made sense. For me, I, I well, kind of... one thing, by the way, just real quick, Bonky said, uh, explaining the Darius Williams deal, or I think it was explaining the Kurt deal, like, oh, look how right, he did right, when right. he went up against Williams. And Williams, the, the, the his best tape last year was when he absolutely put De, uh, Devon... Or, <laughs> oh, Hopkins, the Arizona receiver, in a closet. So, you know, you kind of start to question DeAndre Hopkins. I'm really sorry. Uh, you start to question the scouting and who's talking to who and how it all lines up. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't agree more. I, I'm going to say that I hate what the Falcons have done so far. I really just haven't been impressed. Casey Hayward, obviously a, a decent addition there. That's really the only one that moves the needle for me, though. I, I like bringing Patterson back because of what he meant to that offense last year. But he just turned 31. Obviously, explosiveness, versatility, athleticism is his game. At some point, especially in the backfield, now that he's more of a running back than a receiver now, that this is about that time when that starts to take a hit, right? So, I mean, this team still has a ton of holes on both sides of the ball that have yet to be filled. And again, we're getting past that first stage of free agency. Hopefully, they can find some bargains. And on top of all of that, they went so hard at Deshaun Watson. They swung and they missed. So you've got that, you know, potentially fracturing the relationship with Matt Ryan, who's been their longtime franchise quarterback and captain and just the face of that franchise. For what reason? Why on earth did you go and do all of that? You didn't even get Watson anyway. And now you're dealing with the the reaction from the fan base that you were interested in the first place and willing to sacrifice kind of the the swan song of the twilight of Matt Ryan's career after such a long time in, in Atlanta to try and go get a guy like Watson. It's just... Not, not exactly the blueprint for a successful offseason in all of those different ways. Well, that's a team who really needs to load up on receivers in the draft because you have Calvin Ridley going out, you know, the year suspension or more for gambling, and uh, Bucks get Russell Gage. We, you and I discussed that sorry, last Sorry, not sorry, guys. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's one double eight all day because Kyle Piss is really rolling out right now. He really is, and that's going to do it for us, everybody. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Four Down Territory. For Doug Farrar, as always, I'm Luke Easterling. We'll see you next time.